Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right, my friends. Here you are, tuned in. Wise decision, by the way. Tuning in to America's Home for Conservative, Not Bitter Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Hope you had a wonderful Easter weekend, resurrection weekend. Um, We did. Visited family. Went to church. Um, Just, um, it's, it's a... You know, as I said Friday, the most important, truly, the most important day in the history, the, literally the history of the world. So I hope you had a great uh, great weekend. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Email your thoughts, questions, feedback, opinion, adoration, and praise. So I want to, today, uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about today, specifically as it pertains to the left's what we're beginning to see is the beginning of their of their meltdown. The radical left is beginning to melt down. We're past tax day, which is, well, to the radical leftist, the godless radical left, the equivalent of our Easter weekend. It just kind of hit me as I said that. You know, if your government, if if your God is government, tax day is the equivalent. Um, metaphorically speaking, don't take this literally, because of course. Nothing compares to Resurrection Sunday. But if your government, if your God is government, I should say, um, the day that we, you know, pay our alms or whatever to government seems to be the high religious holiday. Um, and so that is, that was what, on uh, Friday, I guess, tax day, April 15th. Yesterday, April 17th, Easter weekend, which of course is the true holy of holies as far as the holidays are concerned or the days or what the days that really matter and the things that really matter in life and but they now are past that they're now looking they're looking this upcoming election in the eye they're faced with reality they don't like to deal with reality very much in fact they come up with all sorts of crazy ways to explain away reality to keep from having to deal with reality, uh, to think and, well, to act upon emotion and to use sophistry, made-up, phony logic, to keep them from having to do, from taking the path that makes sense. I mean, you can take this any number of directions from the economy and what we need to do with that, which, of course, is obvious. By the way... I don't know if you follow a group called Americans uh, for Prosperity, um, but they have a press release here. That's from a week or so ago, within the past week. Blaming latest inflation increase on Russia is passing the buck at its worst. And basically what they're saying here is that the problems that we have, economically speaking, and candidly even outside of economics in this, or from the position of the economy, the problems we have are caused largely, largely by those folks 
who reside in Washington, D.C. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of this responsibility. But that's these are the folks to blame. These are the folks to blame. These are the folks who are making problems worse and creating more turmoil and havoc in the lives of average everyday Americans. People who are wondering why their dollar is worth significantly less than it was worth, say, a year ago. People who are wondering when and where the nonsense ends on things like, well, gender identity. By the way, did you see did you see that the state of Florida has rejected over 40%, 4-0, I think it's actually 41% of all curriculum because the curriculum ventures into areas that the state is saying you cannot, this is not appropriate, whether it's be, you know, critical race theory or some of this other gender uh, stuff. I think it was, well, a mixture of different reasons, but, but that's the general synopsis of it. But these sorts of things, Americans have had enough. Americans, Americans have been subjected to this insanity for far too long. And there's lots of reasons or lots of examples of the insanity. And I don't want to go into that so much today. As much as I want to go into, as much as I want to go into the reaction, because the, the leftists are now fully aware. They are now 100 percent fully aware that there is an election and that they're that they are about to be held accountable for this election. And you've heard me say on this program, for those of you who have listened uh, for some time, you've heard me say that when Democrats, when the radical left in particular is running the Democrat Party and when the Democrats win an election, what happens, what happens, say, in January of 2021, when when they effectively gained power, they had the presidency, they had a tie Senate, but because of the presidency, they had the tie-breaking vote. Turns out Sarah Palin was right, by the way. Remember when she was mocked back in 2008 for saying that one of the important roles of the vice president was to cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate because the vice president is the president of the Senate and can cast a tie-breaking vote. So it turns out she was right. Who could have guessed, besides those of us who understood the basic principles of the Constitution and fundamental civics in this great nation? Um, and then, of course, the, the Democrats won the House of Representatives as well. We saw the return of uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and so forth. Um, and so we marched towards, of course, utter insanity. And... and, and you see some of these crazy, ideas bills, and ideas, not again, it's, it's not ideas. These ideas presuppose or assume that they're actually thought through. These things are not thought through. These are feelings. These are feelings that are used for political purposes to reward the base, to throw a little, uh, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, to say thank you or a hat tip to you for getting us elected. Um, and they, they, of course, do that. Both parties do that. I'm, I'm just saying that that's part of this. But they're also, they're run by crazy radical leftists who, candidly, many of them hate this nation as founded. They would love to see nothing better, or they would love to see nothing more, I should say, than for this nation to be replaced by something else, something they think is, 
well, better. Of course, it's not going to be better, but different. And that, of course, comes from some of these socialist utopian principles and concepts and places that that they would love to see the establishment of a society, of a culture that rejects things like basic truth, that accepts the notion, the crazy notion, that all actions are really morally equivalent with one another. There is no good or evil. That This, this postmodern thought has taken root in today's radical left. They don't like, they don't like the idea that there are things that are good and bad, that there are better options than others. They don't like the concept of absolute truth. Although what's interesting is if you tell them, if you tell them you do believe in absolute truth, they will tell you that you're absolutely wrong, thereby therefore proving that they actually do believe in a notion of absolute truth, even though they are completely uh, flipped it, it's completely 100 degrees, 180 degrees, I should say, out of whack with with reality. So they know all this. They can see it. Americans feel it. There is no good sign. There is no good reason that Democrats are going to do anything in November besides lose in a mighty, mighty way. Across the board, at all levels, again, this isn't a prediction, but I mean, this is, these, this is what the, all the signs are pointing to. Even without all the negative news, history would suggest that Democrats will lose an average of, what, 20, 26, 20-some seats in the House. Anyway, they're panicked. They're panicked. They also thought that when they had the House, they had the Senate, they had the presidency, that they would be able to push some of these things through. This is why they hate, they hate with a passion Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. They hate with a passion Kirsten Sinema, Democrat of Arizona. They hate these folks with a passion because they would rather these folks be Republicans and identify themselves as evil Republicans than actually have someone carry the name Democrat who has stood in some degree, to some degree, in opposition of some of these radical notions and concepts. And so these folks, the the, the panicked left, They are coming out of the woodwork here. Michael Cohen, MSNBC op-ed writer. This was uh, this was last week as well. April fifth was actually Friday. This is what he. I'm going to read a part of this. I just want you to get a glimpse of this. By the way, he is saying exactly what I've said. Democrats do when they get into power. Like I said in January of 2021, the first thing they try to do. The first thing they try to do is push the most radical, leftist, crazy nonsense down the throats of the American people. They do this as quickly, they try to do this as quickly as possible, and then hope, hope that they can advance their agenda, kind of set the new framework for the new reality in place as, as being the new starting point for normal. Of course, it's not normal at all. But these crazy bills and these radical notions that they are trying to pass, they want that to become the new starting point. Knowing that when Republicans win office, most times before President Trump, Republicans don't undo any of it. They just stop it. And then Democrats think, we'll give us a while to regroup. We'll go out and win the next election. We'll start. The starting point will be the last crazy place we took this nation. We'll start right there, and we'll continue to move things radically left. 
And again, they know that there's there are consequences. They know that they will be held accountable at some point um, at the at the polls. This is traditionally, I think, the the process. And so, but they always seem a little bit surprised that there's always these tried and true believers in these radical left notions, these policies that have created the massive inflation these policies that have led to complete pandemonium in school districts around the country. It's why parents are infuriated at what's happening there. Just take Afghanistan, um, the price of gas, uh, just just take any issue, the illegal immigration, open borders effectively, what's happening with Title 42, on and on down the list, right? Biden's latest attempt to, uh, you know, take away or infringe upon moving the needle on the anti-Second Amendment crowd, pushing things towards the left, away from the Constitution in that, in that regard. This is a constant, a constant game. Somehow, some of these folks are always surprised that they're actually going to be held accountable in election when the next election comes up. And so that is where we are now. And they are freaking out. And so there's actually, I wanted to share this Michael Cohen, MSNBC opinion columnist here. He wrote this Friday. I have some bad news for Democrats. As bad as things seem now, they're almost certainly going to get worse. (laughs) What a way to begin the column, by the way. The Labor Department released its latest consumer price index report this week, and the numbers are ugly. Inflation hit 8.5%, the fastest one-year surge in prices since Ronald Reagan's first year as president. May I pause for a moment, by the way? I love how he wants to get this seemingly, and I say seemingly, um, you know, negative jab at Reagan here. Do you know when Reagan assumed office, which, by the way, was in 1981, his first year, Jimmy Carter had driven and the radical left, it's it's very similar to what we see today, had driven inflation up. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was it was 11. I think one year was 11 and the other was 14%. I need to double check this. I have this in my stack of, stack of stuff here. I just don't have it at the ready. So when Reagan took over, he began, it began to come down. So... It is the highest, this inflation number that we have under Biden, under today's radical left, and make no mistake, this is their doing. If you just simply look at the numbers, you can see where Carter drove it up to, and then you can begin to see how Reagan and Reaganomics began to drive it downward. So it's the beginning, it's the highest point, really the right way to say this, it's the highest point since the effects of Carter's malaise on the economy, since Carter's stagflation on the economy, stagnant economy plus inflation. That is what it's the highest sense. Reagan couldn't come in in the first five seconds of being in office, although he was able, incidentally, to get the Iranian hostages released literally on the day of his inauguration. Side note, factually true in history as well. But he wasn't able to change overnight the condition of the economy, but you can clearly see, go back and look at the numbers yourself, the beginning of inflation coming down and getting into check. And check out where it was 
when Reagan was in office, you know, kind of the the meat of his presidency. Let, let's let's check out where it was then to see the sorts of things that Reagan's leadership and the way that the, the things that he was doing that the the um the things that he was pressing Congress to do, and of course he had a he had to work with Democrats. But the things that he was doing to clean up the mess that was left by the unmitigated disaster and dumpster fire of the Carter administration, just like we're dealing with today. So, but the point is, I'm going to pick up after the break here and continue this. We, the left is in panic mode. They know that it's undeniable the damage that they've done. Of course, they're going to blame other people and everything else. But they know the damage is, is undeniable. And in fact, they know barring something incredible from happening between now and election day, the next, what is it, uh, seven months, six and a half months or whatever, barring something incredibly insane or unpredictable or, well, things I can't discuss because, you know, people don't like you to mention things that people are concerned about, people that, um, you know, on social media, barring some sort of concern about the integrity of elections, may I say, Um, they know what's coming. They know what's coming, and they're actually out there clamoring for the left just to (laughs) to burn it down, to literally to burn it down, to pass through all their crazy nonsense, knowing that they're not going to have another chance to be in power, at least in the foreseeable future, the next two years, maybe even beyond that. We'll see. There's a lot of politics between now, between now and then. But they're actually freaking out over this. They're also freaking out that Republicans had the audacity to run a black Senate candidate. I guess another editorial I'm going to share with you as well. Um, In Georgia, he's running for Senate in Georgia against Raphael Warnock. That's, of course, I mean, I guess the simple way to say that's that's. That's what the left does. You know, it's it's so amazing to me as I share this story with you about uh, Herschel Walker, this editorial, I should say. What's amazing to me is that the same people who tell you that there's going to be a black vice president and a black Supreme Court justice, those are the only criteria that they give whatsoever for filling those very important positions. These are the same folks who cry bloody murder because they think Republicans are are finding candidates who are black uh, to run, and that's some sort of great crime. That's where the unbelievable immorality, I guess, comes in. And I'm not even suggesting that's what's happening, but this is in their own words. My point is panic and pandemonium has set in with the radical left. They know, they know that the metaphorical day of judgment is coming on election day. And they've got nothing, nothing that voters are going to be pleased with, proud of, happy with, whatever. And so they're beginning to have little baby tantrums and to beg Democrats to just go all in. Go all in with the radical notions and concepts and bills and pass the radical stuff here between now and the end of this session because they believe this is the last chance that they're going to have for some time. No guarantees, of course. They could, anything can happen in politics, but this is certainly what it's shaping up to be. This is where it's fun to watch, in a sense, because these folks, I mean, will just say anything. I mean, the the, the emotion that runs between 
what's going on inside of them to their keyboard or through their pen or through the microphone or however they're, you know, getting these ideas. And I use that word very loosely there, getting these feelings onto paper. Quite remarkable, really long in this segment, my friends. Quick time out, want to pick up and share. These are the two things I want to focus on primarily today. And if we have time, a third thing that I want to get to as well. But we'll get to those things after the break. Sit tight back here in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So Democrats, the radical left, I should say, is an absolute meltdown here. As they come to grips, it's almost as though they forgot there was an election. Of course, they didn't forget. This is the strategy. This is the this is how it's done. You get power. You push as much through as possible. You try to make people realize, well, not realize, because that assumes uh, that it's based in reality. You try to trick people into thinking that the policies that you push through and that cause all the havoc and turmoil and consternation and tension and just absolute disastrous junk. They want you to, they try to trick you, trick you into thinking that's not really what you experience. What you, it's basically a gaslighting campaign. And when it's so bad and so obvious as it has been these past, it seems like years, it's only been, what is it, 15 months or so. Um, but when it's been this bad, there's no hiding from it. And so they're coming to grips with this. They look at inflate. It's Again, these things are so predictable with anyone who understands anything, even about basic economics. You don't have to be an economist to understand what it is that's going on here. It's, I mean, abundantly obvious for anybody who wants to pay attention and who's interested in, in truth. So... I'm reading from a column, part of an opinion column by Michael Cohen, MSNBC. He continues to say, well, he, he continues to say how bad it is for Democrats. It's unavoidable, unavoidable that they're going to pay some political price for this come November. He says much of the increase is being driven by a sharp rise in gasoline prices and the price increases from pandemic-related supply chain disruptions. But again, Michael, what was it that caused... What was it that caused the supply chain disruptions? I'm not going to dispute that there was nothing caused by the pandemic itself, but I am going to tell you that a huge chunk of what we've dealt with pertaining to COVID, pertaining to supply chain problems was literally, quite literally, the direct result of government bureaucratic actions and steps taken to save people save people from having to experience or be infected with coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, becoming COVID-19. And I think at one, I'm, I'm being as fair as I know how to be here. I think at one point in the process, this was semi-understandable. Very, 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 very early. Remember, it was 15 days to slow the spread. Now we've learned, now we've learned that there's no demonstrable difference between states that took extreme actions to stop COVID-19 and shutdowns and lockdowns and all this stuff and states that didn't do that. In fact, Florida, I referenced this last week, Florida outperformed 
California, and New York, which, of course, remember, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York at the time, was heralded as a hero, was writing books on how, or a book, on how to lead through a COVID-19 crisis. There were people calling for him to be the new nominee for president, people calling for him, if nothing else, to be the vice presidential choice. And I said at the time, that's not going to happen because Biden told us the only thing he's going to do when it comes to making a decision for his vice presidency is look at someone's race and gender. That was it. That's all he told us. That was all he told us. Anyway, but getting back to this. Supply chain, supply chain disruptions, Michael, Mr. Cohen, the bulk of that falls squarely, squarely upon our government's collective decisions. But whatever, he continues here. Whatever the reason, however, the political fallout is less of a mystery. It's precisely the kind of news that will compound Democrats' political woes in November, which already looked dire. Rather than fight the prevailing political winds, Democrats would be better off, this is the point, acknowledging the reality that the the midterm elections are going to be a bloodbath. No word if that's going to be censored. That sounds very violent to me. But a bloodbath, I'm joking, Um, and focus instead on accomplishing as much as possible before then. The politics be damned. Basically, push through. Push through as much of the radical left's agenda between now and the end of this term. Push it through. We're in panic mode, says Michael Cohen. He's probably hyperventilating, on the verge of hyperventilation here, trying to figure out how to somehow salvage what was supposed to be. Remember, Biden and the Democrats were supposedly elected. Biden elected by 81 million people. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've traveled a good chunk of this country since the election, and I have yet to find, I have yet to find a single proud Biden voter. Where are these 81 million? I want to know. I guess it's it's understandable. 20% of them have said that they wished they could change their vote or that they would vote differently if given the opportunity to do so again. I think that number is actually higher. But where are where are these folks? Well, Michael Cohen is actually... <laughs> arguing for, dare I say this, oh, I just, I, I'm chomping at the bit to say this, actually. Michael Cohen is actually arguing for, get ready for it, because if you want to talk about a policy that's actually this, here it is. When you want to talk about realizing you're about to lose your power, to use whatever time is left to force on the American people things that they would hold you accountable for anyway, his argument is they're already going to vote you out. So just go bat crap crazy with me on this, Michael Cohen says to the radical left in in Washington, D.C., and let's go all in. Let's go all in and push the radical left agenda. They're going to vote you out anyway. You have nothing to lose. Folks, that, (laughs) this is actually anti-democratic. When you know, you know that the people don't want what you're peddling upon them, but yet you say, you know what? Screw it. (laughs) Screw the people. They've already got to deal with the consequences here. We're going to lose our power anyway. Let's go ahead and let's move the new starting point for the next election, which is going to be 2024. After I'm I'm assuming assuming that they lose, and again, I'm not predicting this. I don't do that. But 
assuming they lose, Democrats lose, Republicans have the House and Senate, uh, and then we get ready for the big 2024 election, which could be, could theoretically be a rematch between Trump and Biden, which the Democrats want nothing to do with, by the way. Nothing to do with that. And they don't know who they're going to put up against Trump. They don't know who they're going to put up if it's DeSantis. They don't know who they're going to put up, period, because they know that they have no political bench, nobody that anybody wants to vote for. They have no one to make the enemy and to demonize going into this next 2022 or 2024 election. They're going to try to make it Trump again, even if he's not on the ballot. Of course, he isn't this time anyway. And there are people... There are people who are shaking in their boots because they know that this is not shaping up well for them. And so they would actually, quite literally, this guy, if he ever tries to tell you he's pro-democracy, pro-will of the people, just remind him of this. Just remind him that you're calling for people to do extremely radical things, things the American people never voted for. In fact, the vast majority of Biden voters voted not so much for Biden or for Biden's ideas as much as they voted against Trump and how much you have people like you, Mr. Cohen, um, stirred people into a frenzy over fear of democracy collapsing, authoritarianism on the rise, radical, racist, uh, white nationalists running the country and so forth. Silly, ridiculous, absolutely insane stuff. And so they didn't vote for this stuff that he's arguing for. I would tell you this is the poster child as an example of what it looks like to have people running the country, people like Michael Cohen. He's just a columnist, but he's arguing for the people who are making political decisions in this country to do so strictly out of pure power, to heck what everyone else thinks, to heck with the democratic process, to heck with the will of the people. This is our only chance. We have to push it through or we're going to get shellacked anyway. What do we have to lose? They have lost their minds. We should always remember people like Michael Cohen showing us their true colors when they're in complete meltdown and panic mode. Quick time out. Want to shift gears just a little bit when we get after the break, get back after the break and talk about another example. <laughs> this has to deal with Herschel Walker running for Senate in the state of Georgia and another column exposing the radical left for who they are with some of these I mean, it, crazy stuff. I mean, the hypocrisy here is as thick as I have ever experienced in my time doing this program, which is almost six years this August. So anyway, all that being said, timeouts in order. Come back and pick up with the next story when we get back. Listen to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. We are talking about the leftists and their absolute melting down as we enter into the 2022 uh, midterm election season. So I want to direct your attention now to, <laughs> to another op-ed. I, th- this is unbelievable. I mean, again, these people are predictable. I don't put this past them. This is their distorted view of reality. Again, I'm talking about the radical, radical left. I'm not talking. In fact, if you're if you're an average rank and file Democrat, I'm not I'm not grouping you in with these folks. In fact, I am telling you, you and I have a million times more in common than you 
and these radical, extreme, <laughs> I, crazy people. I don't know <laughs> what else to say about this. Headline of this op-ed, and I'm going to make this segment short, so we're going to probably do this in a couple of segments here. This is written by uh, extreme radical leftist Ellie Mistal, and I'm not, again, if I'm, I just, I read a lot, I don't hear, I did listen to how his name was pronounced, I think that's the right way, but anyway, the headline, headline of this piece, which ran in, where did this run? The Nation, <laughs> thenation.com, yes. Um, the Herschel Walker Senate campaign is an insult to, <laughs> sorry, I can't, the Herschel Walker can't Senate campaign is an insult to black people. Subheading here, Georgia Republicans have embraced Walker because they think any old black person will do when it comes to their cynical strategy for defeating Raphael Warnick. Of course, he's been in the Senate for all of one year because of the, well, I don't want to go through all the history of that, but anyway, literally, literally, we have a vice president and now a Supreme Court Justice, Katanji Brown-Jackson, who were both quite literally selected because of their race and gender. Now, I have been on record on this for a, a thousand times. Folks, any, whatever, you know, male, female, or any race, gender, ethnicity, any person that has any, that falls into any groups, any of those possible black man, white woman, Hispanic woman, whatever. There, there are qualified people in every group of those people. Simply being any one of those things is not a qualification. Being a white man, not a qualification. Being a black woman, not a qualification. Being a Hispanic, what a, not a qualification. It's not, it shouldn't be uh, neither a, a positive nor a, a, negative right i mean if if we're looking to uh, to select people who are the most qualified to let's say interpret the law of the land it shouldn't matter those things shouldn't matter in fact martin luther king right he's he had a dream that we would one day judge people based upon the content of their character not the color not the color of their skin and i just i look at this and we literally have a vice president Whose only the only qualification we were told was that she was a female and black. We literally have a Supreme Court justice whom you weren't even allowed to ask questions of, as she sat for the very purpose of being questioned by the Senate Judiciary Committee. You could not ask her questions in fear of being called racist. This is how messed up this is. You couldn't question her judicial philosophy because you were racist. You couldn't have a problem that she couldn't define woman because you're somehow sexist, which, of course, begs the question, how can I be sexist when you can't even tell me the difference between a man and a woman? But, of course, this <laughs> this logic is lost on the radical left because they just they don't care. They don't care. They are so jacked up with emotion and anger and rage and hatred. I'm talking the extreme radical left that this works for a lot of people. And it's quite ironic that Mr. Ellie Mistal is criticizing Republicans for picking any old black any this is his words, not mine. Any old black person will do when it comes to their cynical strategy for defeating Raphael Warnick. 
Now, keep in mind, there is a primary in Georgia. Herschel Walker's not the only person running. I, this is, he's describing what the left does, is my point. And he's upset that the Republicans are doing something that he wants to say is the same thing. And I don't even know if that's remotely close to what's going on here. Herschel Walker is quite the respected individual for people that live in Georgia. And I know there's some that hate him, but that's just because they know he's Republican now. Herschel Walker was a hero. Herschel Walker is a stud. <laughs> hes I mean, the guy is a good man. People in Georgia love him. I'm not saying, I'm not, this isn't an endorsement or anything. I'm just saying it's quite ironic. I know Oz is telling me it's time to take a break. Along in this segment. But they've lost their, whatever's left of the radical left's mind is lost on this stuff. They feel like their own strategies are being used against them. They feel like they want to point out the hypocrisy of Republicans doing things that they quite literally do. The left does on a hour-by-hour basis. It's how they operate their entire campaign strategy. Identity politics. Anyway, timeouts in order, my friends. Sit tight. Listen to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friend. I don't have a lot of time. I'm just, I'm laughing with Oz. Because the writer of this article, who again, radical leftist, Ellie Mistal, I think, again, I think you say it. Hirsch, I, he has no idea. Herschel Walker wasn't just a good college football player. And look, I'm not saying that celebrity alone should qualify. I'm just saying he's a beloved person in the state of Georgia amongst people who are in their 40s and higher, people that actually would know him. He he was voted Herschel Walker at ESPN.com. I mean, whatever you think about ESPN, that's Disney, all those lunatics. But Herschel Walker was ranked the second best college football player in in history the most dominant player that i have ever that i have ever seen i was you know young guy but i just i knew him when he got to the nfl and i become familiar i didn't uh, jim brown was number 1 i didn't know jim brown was way before my era the other person i thought of as the most dominant player of of in my era was was bo jackson these guys are 2 and 3 on this list the herschel herschel walker is cage fighting in his 50s. I mean, whatever you think of all this stuff, fine. But this is a beloved, beloved athlete who is in lots of people in Georgia think the world of this guy. It's not just because he's black. What's ironic is that Kamala Harris, Biden told us, was selected because she was black and a woman. Katanji Brown Jackson, they told us. Qualifications, black female. We're not allowed to say that. I'm not saying Herschel Walker should win this. I'm just simply saying it is beyond hypocritical to me to say this sort of stuff when the guy clearly is a legend in the state of Georgia. Anyway, timeouts in order. Long in this segment. Quick timeout. Back in just a minute. my friends all the time that i have today but let me say this here we are in an election season i mean we need to focus now on what is important we need to focus on of course if we're not registered we need to get our registrations updated or registered to vote get those we know registered to vote focus on what really matters the core issues 
remove the identity politics, all the stuff that we listen to today, right? All the stuff that we listen to the radical left. This is what they're going to do. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at this. They know they're in a meta, well, a world of hurt here. And we have truth on our side, and we have a lot better ideas on our side. And I've got to go, folks. Hang in there. Have a great week. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.